I am, I am excited to talk to you guys a little bit today and uh, looking forward to sharing kind of some um, big overarching principles that we have learned throughout our 10 years of church planning. And um, I'll also be kind of sprinkling in some, some ideas and maybe some thoughts and things that you can take home with you. Um, it, it's amazing how we tend to learn things the hard way, but uh, I have, in my 46 years of living, I have come to the conclusion that I would much rather learn from someone else's mistakes than to learn from my mistakes. So um, if, if you maybe can learn from some of our mistakes that we made and not make them yourself, uh, it'll, it'll save you a little pain and maybe a few scars here and there. Um, I want to talk about just the process of the process of, 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 of building a church, the process of building people. I'm, I'm a planner, and um, so I, I'm someone who likes to know where I'm going before I go somewhere. I like to have the details worked out. Um, I, like to, uh, I like to have a plan in place before I take a step. And how many of you know that's not generally how it works when it comes to God's, God's church and when leading God's kingdom in God's economy? He tends to never show you the big picture. You just have to take a step of faith, and then as you go, um, things become clearer. And, but but I, I, like, I like to plan. I, I, I have a checklist on my phone every day that I, that I go through. And I, I, if it's not on my to-do list... I don't want to do it. So if, if I'm presented with something that's not on my to-do list for today, I would rather, okay, I'll put it on my to-do list for tomorrow uh, because it's not on my to-do list today. Uh, but at the end of my day today, I intend to have every box checked off. I just, I, I like to plan. It's just kind of the way that I see life. It's kind of who I am. It's my, my DNA. I go on vacation. I like to know what I'm doing. Uh, people, people just, it gives me the, the jitters when people say, we're just driving on vacation and we don't even know where we're going to stay. We'll just pull into a town. We'll find somewhere to stay. I mean, I can't even, I wouldn't enjoy it. That's not relaxing to me. That's not vacation to me. I want to know where I'm staying. I, I, I want to exactly how much it's going to cost. I want to make sure I'm getting the best deal. I like to know pretty much where I'm eating. I'm not saying I have to have every meal planned out, but I kind of have an idea of the places that we want to go in this city while we are staying there. And um, if I were to come back to Beeville, I'd go to the Beeville Diner, Beeville Cafe. What's it called? That's, that's good food. We, we, we ate there last night. I know there's not a lot of options uh, open late at night um, uh, around here, but that was a, that was a strong option. But I like, to, I like to know where I'm going. And in 2009... When God called us to San Antonio to plant a church, and, and we planted a church not knowing anyone in the city, it was what, what we call a parachute launch, where we literally kind of dropped into the city not knowing anybody, and uh, started the church completely from scratch. Uh, myself and, and two other couples moved there, one from Mississippi and one from East Texas, and, and together we, we, we launched the church, and it was this huge undertaking and I remember thinking, if we can just get off the ground, like if we can just have that first service and just get going, you know, I can kind of check that box. I, I, I can check that box. But then I realized on Monday morning after we had that first service on Sunday that we're, we're going to have to do this next weekend, too. And we were portable, so we were having church in an elementary school, in an elementary cafetorium, they call it. I'm not sure that's a word, but cafetorium, it's a cafeteria with a stage in it. 
And so every weekend it smelled of children's food when we, when we came to church. And there's Pastor Isaac, you wouldn't have known that, would you have? He has no sense of smell. I've never heard of that in my life until last night. I, I think that's probably good in some cases, but then in some cases there may be a few things you miss out on. But uh, if you would have been at North Rock in the early days, it would have been good. But, but we, 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 were, we, we were portable, so we had to set up church and tear down church every weekend. And, and um, I, I remember thinking on Monday, oh, Lord, we have to do this again, you know, next weekend. And so, I, 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 you know, I, in my mind, the box was checked. But then I realized um, it's, it's, it's not checked. It, it's coming around again. It's coming around again. And th- then week three is coming. And then... When we had, you know, 70 people coming to church, I remember thinking if we could just get to 100, if we could just break 100 people in attendance, you know, I could check the box. And then we got to 100, and of course, you, you know where I'm going. Then you're thinking if we could just get to 200, you know, we could just break the 200 mark. And, and believe it or not, um, uh, studies do show that breaking 200 is the most difficult barrier to break in, in, in a church's life. Once you break 200, of course, there are other barriers, but 200 is the most difficult barrier. But when we broke 200, I remember thinking, okay, and, and then maybe we should add a service, and, and we add, added a service, and we checked that box, but, but the, the list just goes on and on. Then you get to 400 and 500 and, and 1,000. There's, there's really never that moment where you arrive, and, and so I had this aha moment, if you will, one day while listening to a podcast, and, and I don't even remember who I was listening to, but they were talking about how the destina- there is no destination comes to building God's church. The truth is the process is the destination. The process is the destination. You never arrive. There are always going to be people to reach. And, and I'm pretty sure that when we have, you know, 10,000 people in attendance, we're going to be thinking uh, w- w- there, there's, there, there's more to reach. There's 15. I want to get to 15,000 or, or, or 20,000. We never, ever arrive because as long as there are people who need Jesus, then, then there's work to be done. I, I said it last night, but until Jesus dominates, until Jesus runs San Antonio, Texas, uh, then there's always going to be one more soul to reach. There's always going to be work for us to do. And God didn't call me to check a box as it relates to building a church. God also didn't call me to build a mega church. But what he did call me to do was to reach as many people as possible with the gospel. As many people as possible. And in Acts 16.5, um, you know, the church that we are still a part of today um, launched in, in the book of Acts chapter 2. And it was a crazy day, and I'll talk about that here in just a moment. But in Acts uh, chapter 16, verse 5, there's a scripture that says, and I love this, and this is kind of, man, how, what, what drives us and, and how I encourage our church and, and our people and our staff and our team. But the scripture says the churches were strengthened. Acts 16, 5, do we have that? The churches were strengthened in their faith, and they grew daily. In numbers, the churches were strengthened in their faith, and they grew daily. They grew, they grew daily. It was a process that never ever ended. It's still still growing today. As long as there are people to reach, we don't stop. God is always inclined for His church to grow, because God is always inclined to save. There's never a day when God takes a day off and says, you know what, I've, I've already saved a lot of people this week. So I think I'm, 
I think I'm good. I think I'm good. At least, you know, next week we'll, we'll try again. No, no. God is always inclined to save. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so he's always looking for opportunities to say, there's never a day where he's just like, I- I- I'm done for today. So his church, as his church, we don't stop. We don't stop. We're continually pursuing one more lost sheep. Not so that I can feel like I'm winning. It's not about uh, me feeling good about myself, but so that I can fulfill the purpose that God has placed in my in my life. And so when it comes to building a church, the process of reaching people is the, is the destination. I want to embrace that process. So I want to talk about a few things that, that we've learned over, over the years, kind of some you know, epiphanies, some, some game changer moments for me. And I want to use a familiar story um, in the Gospels as, as a roadmap because I think it gives us a good picture of the process that, that Jesus used while he was pursuing the lost. There, there are stories, of course, if you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus pursuing lost and broken and hurting people over and over. But this, this is one of my favorite passages. It's in the, in, the, in the book of John, chapter 4. John, chapter 4. And um, Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee... And John chapter 4, verse 4 says, now he had to go through Samaria. John writes, he had to go through Samaria. Now I want to, just to give you a little context, um, when when the statement is made that that Jesus had to go through Samaria, it's akin to me saying, if I were going to San Antonio, which I will be this afternoon, that I had to go through Floresville. Now, if you you know the road system, the highways, the way they work, you know that you could go through Floresville, but you also know that you don't have to go through Floresville. There are other ways that you could go. And there there was more than one way to to, uh, to get to Galilee from Judea. You did not have to go through Samaria. And the reality is Jewish people actually, as most of you probably know, went out of their way to avoid Samaria. Because, you know, Samaria, those people were considered ungodly and and unclean and their lives were so messed up. So we understand that when John writes that Jesus had to go through Samaria, it was not a a geographical statement. It was not a a Google Maps statement or, or, or a Waze app, whatever, you know, whatever GPS app you use. It was not a geographical statement, but instead it was a spiritual statement, a spiritual statement. In fact, what John should have written was this. He had to go to Samaria. He had to go to Samaria. Because Jesus wasn't just looking for the shortest route to Galilee. He had an appointment with a woman who was lost. He had an appointment with a woman who was messed up. And he was intentionally planning to meet her there. So the first thing that we can learn if you're taking notes, and I want to encourage you to write things down, that in the process to reach one more person, we find that Jesus was intentional. Intentional. He was intentional. And you got to love the idea, the reality that he went to Samaria for the purpose of one. Now, ultimately, there were lots of people who were saved, but he went to meet 
One. That is so powerful. Don't ever underestimate the power of reaching one. One. One at a time. One at a time. I want our ministry in, in San Antonio to reach thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I want Kingsway to reach thousands of people in this, in this region. Um, but, 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 but if we just... We're, if we just reached one, it would be worth it. I mean, if we just reached one, it would be, it would be worth it. This is why Jesus told the parables of, of the lost coin, lost sheep, and lost son. Because one is important to the kingdom. And he went to Samaria to reach one lady, one lady, one lady. He was intentional about it, intentional about it. Now, I know that there are all sorts of people in the room today and people who have various tastes and things that you like, what you like to eat, what music you like to listen to, you know, clothes you like to wear, what you like to watch. Um, and there are probably a few sports fans in the building. There are probably some, you know, some, 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 some Cowboys fans, some people who hate the Cowboys. There are probably some Longhorn fans, some A&M fans. It doesn't really matter, you know, what, what, what we have in common or what we don't have in common. The truth is, if you know anything at all about, even if you're a casual fan of, of a sport like football, um, when, when you watch what's happening on the field, you know that, that there had to be a plan for them to get up there and everybody work in, in, you know, in, in order and, and synchronize as the ball's going this way and the linemen are pulling to block that way and the receivers know what they're doing. And th there has to be a plan. Somewhere they sat down in a room and they strategized and they put a plan together. You, it, it would look incredibly messy. What, if you, you could have watched the Super Bowl, and although it was kind of messy, um, you could have watched the Super Bowl and it would have been like going out to watch you know, peewee football with eight-year-olds or seven-year-olds it's just they're just running all over the place and both of my boys played ball and it was of course you know we thought it was amazing but now looking back you realize how messy um, it really was but the truth is if you're gonna win if you're going to move the ball down the field there must be a plan you need to be intentional about what you're doing so as it relates to building God's church we need some we, we need some intentionality about about what we're doing Within, within, our, within, our, within our organization, we need to be intentional. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. Paul says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. This is how I'm afraid a lot of us uh, historically, and, and, and I include myself, have worked to build a church aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. How silly is that? you got to love that word picture. From the NIV, a boxer beating the air. I mean, this is what this is what some of us look like as it relates to trying trying to build the church. It's like, what what are you even what what are you even doing? Because we we don't we don't really know what we're doing, and that's how we were with North Rock when we started. I had this idea that I could just have good church as long as we had good church, man. Good church, people just gonna come flocking to us as long as we just had good church. Everything be okay. Like we could reach a city of now that a region of but 2.4 million people just by having good church. And I, I realized after about a year and a half that it wasn't gonna be good enough for us just to have good church. I knew how to have good church. I did. I knew how to have good church. But 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 about a year and a half in, like we hit a wall. About that 200 mark, 225 mark, we absolutely hit a wall. We hit a wall. And and I, I began to realize, <clears throat> I, 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 we we need to we need a little more strategy than what we're doing. Now, let me be honest with you. As it relates to building 
God's kingdom and building a church, growing a church, church growing daily. As long as it relates to it, your church growing, it does begin with the weekend, the, the, the weekend services. That is, that's, that is, of course, the foyer. That's, that's the front door. And it does matter that we have comfortable, uh, welcoming environments, positive environments. As I walked in here last night, there were smiling faces, shaking my hands, warm introductions. Uh, the, the, it, when people walk through the doors of your building, they should instantly feel like they're, they're, they're at home. They should feel comfortable. They should feel like they should sense that this is a life-giving environment. It should be a happy environment. Whenever they, whenever they sit in our services and leave our services, they should sense the, just the love and the grace and, and, and the presence of God. They should sense heaven. There's enough hell out there. When they come in here, they should sense heaven. <laughs> and they should leave with their head held high. And feeling like, wow, I may not have it all together. I may still have some things that I need to get together. But, but th those people love me and they represent a God who, who, who loves me. So, so, so we need to have that life-giving environment. And we do need to have you know, wonderful weekend services. But we must go beyond, we must go beyond that. Because what started to happen is the law of the lid began to take, take effect. And, and I realized that. I was trying to do everything, me and two or three other people trying to do everything, and, and we had hit a wall. So the first thing that, that you can write down that I needed to be intentional about, Jesus was intentional, and the first thing I realized I had to be intentional about if I was going to grow North Rock was, was, was personal growth. I had to be intentional about personal growth. Pastor Isaac mentioned this just before I got up here, and um, he's exactly right. The growth that I want to see begins with the growth in me. The growth as a leader, specifically as a senior leader, that I want to see in my church begins with the growth in me. I have to grow myself. And every stage of my church's growth requires me to grow personally in order to lead that growth. And the day that, that I refuse to, or I'm just so comfortable or complacent that, that I refuse to embrace personal growth is the day that I ensure that my organization, my team, my church becomes mediocre and it begins to stall personal growth. Doing what you're doing today. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir a little bit because you're doing what you're doing. But it goes beyond just this. We have a leadership academy where we invite um, leaders in our church or people who, who would like to be leaders to come in, on Wednesday nights at, at North Rock. And, and um, I, I told them last Wednesday night, I was talking about being intentional about personal growth. And it's, it's fabulous of what they're doing. It's fabulous what you're doing today. But it goes beyond, it goes beyond this. It goes beyond this. I mean, you, you know that spiritually, if the only time you're feeding yourself spiritually is on the weekend when you come to church, um, then you, you're going to be pretty hungry. By about Thursday or Friday. What if, what if the only time you ate food was on you know, Sunday mornings, about 10 o'clock? Somewhere about Tuesday evening, Thursday afternoon, Friday night, you're going to be so hungry. And, and you might be needing to do something and you don't have the energy to do it. Well, if we're only feeding ourselves spiritually on the weekend, well, somewhere about you know, Tuesday afternoon or or Thursday morning or Friday night, something's going to happen and you're not going to be ready for it because you've not been feeding yourself spiritually. Feeding yourself spiritually. 
It's the same way when it comes to our personal growth, spiritual growth personally, as well as just uh, growing ourselves as, as leaders, as individuals. And there's no secret sauce, I, I would tell you, as it relates to personal growth. Uh, what I've learned is I just do it. I just do it. Just like I get up in the morning and I, I, I pray. I have personal devotion time where I pray and I read my Bible. I also set aside time to, to read a book, to read a, a leadership book or to listen to a, a podcast. When You may not have a lot of traffic around. You might not sit in traffic around here a lot. Uh, but if you have to drive 30 or 40 minutes somewhere to work or, or whatever, it might, whatever the case might be for you, instead of listening to you know, sports talk, or whatever you might want to listen to, some sort of news that just makes you angry. Um, put, put, put on a podcast. You, it's very, very easy. And listen to, listen to someone. Listen to a John Maxwell. Listen to a, uh, they're, they're a Craig Rochelle or an Andy Stanley. Listen to someone who's teaching you about how to grow yourself as a leader. Personal growth is a non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable. If you're a leader of a church or a leader of a team, it is a non-negotiable. Now, one caveat as it relates to personal growth and being willing to stretch yourself is that it's not always easy because growth is typically accompanied with change. Change usually comes right along with, with growing. And sometimes we might say we want to grow, but we really don't want to change, <laughs> Um, and that's where you get that definition of insanity, where you do the same thing over and over and over and expect different results. There's, there's actually going to be some changes that, that, that have to take place. And so the change, not only the growth I want to see begins with the growth in me, but the change I want to see begins with the change in, in me. And there's some things that I kind of noticed about myself. Um, there, 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 I have some preferences just like you were talking about earlier today, some preferences about kind of how I would like to have church and even what I would like to preach. Um, and, and some things that I, I would rather just preach about this all the time because that's my candy stick. It's fun. I enjoy preaching about that. But I've realized that I've got to stretch myself. And there's sometimes I have to preach some things that don't just excite me because I, the, the, my, my church needs it. My, my city needs it. There's some music that I don't particularly care for. I certainly wouldn't drive down the road listening to it in my car, um, but, 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 but we'll have it. We'll have some of it on the stage. We'll do some things because I know that that's the language that, that our culture is, is speaking, and my preferences, my preferences as to how I would like to see church done never, ever trumps, never, ever trumps, never, ever trumps what our culture needs and, and the type of church that our culture needs. Just just last week, just last week, I heard again, and I've quoted this uh, to my church before, but three different research groups, um, Barna was one of the three, uh, did, did, did research. But between the three of these, these, these organizations, um, they came to the conclusion that 85% of Americans who surrender their life to Jesus do so, you probably heard this, before the age of 14. 85% surrender their life to Jesus. Americans who say, okay, you're a Christian? Yes, when did you become a Christian? Before age of 14. 85%. Okay, I've heard that for some years. But I heard this just last week. 96% say they did so before age of 30. 96% 
said that they became a Christian before age 30. Now, if you, if you created a product, you invented something, you know, just amazing. And, and your market research showed you that 96% of the people who would make the purchase of this product would, do, would, would come from that age bracket under, under 30. 96% of the people who would buy your product would do so before age 30. Who would you be marketing that product to? Who would you be marketing that product to? So I'm 46. I'm 46. Here's the thing. As it relates to me stretching myself and being intentional, intentional about everything that we do as it relates to reaching people, we have to make sure, we have to make sure, at least at North Rock, that we are marketing, that we are doing church in such a way that will reach those people under age 14, that will reach those people under age 30, that they can connect to. Of course, it, it blesses me as well because God is sovereign that way. But I have to make sure. And so sometimes, again, sometimes as I'm growing, as I'm stretching myself, that change can be a little bit uncomfortable. But I must, I must be willing to grow. And to stretch myself and my ideas so that I can reach the people that God has called me to reach. I have to be intentional. The second thing I have to be intentional about is I, I, I learned in about that second year of having church that we had to be intentional about systematically connecting people to our church. Systematically. Connecting. Connecting. I, I, I don't mean getting them through the doors. That's one thing but actually getting them connected to our church systematically, not haphazardly, not accidentally, not randomly, not organically, but systematically connecting people to our church. I wholeheartedly believe that everyone should be connected to a local church, not just sitting in the periphery of the local church. There will always be people in the periphery, and that, that's okay. We understand that, but it's not God's plan for you to be and live in the periphery of the local church, it's God's plan for you to be connected to the local church. Connected in such a way that you can support others and be supported by others. You need to be connected. If you're not connected and suddenly something happens and you need somebody standing beside you giving you support, how's that even going to happen? Because you were never connected. You just kind of slipped in the back and your intent was to remain anonymous. And so you remained anonymous. It's God's plan that everybody be known. You need to be known. You need to be connected. 1 Corinthians 3.16, I don't have this on the screen, but says that this is 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you realize that all of you together, everybody say together are the temple of God, and His Spirit lives in you. Together, we are the temple of God. I love this metaphor that God uses for the church when He calls us the temple. The temple. He says the church is like a building. A building that you know, it's being built for the glory of God. We're in a building project, an expansion project at, at North Rock. And it's fascinating as we've watched, the, watched it being built and... And uh, how, how many different pieces go into just building, you know, a you know, 7,000 square foot I I expansion? How, how many different beams and, and the studs and, and the drywall and the flooring and all the different things that, that come into play? And I've noticed, 
I've noticed all of these parts lying around. And what's interesting is um, even today, if you were to walk into one of the rooms, they're, they're still unfinished, most of them. Uh, you could look and you could see you know, boards or beams lying right on the floor in, in, in a room. They're just lying there. They're not connected. So they're in the building, but they're not connected. So they're certainly not supporting anything. They're not really making any difference. They're just in, in, in the building. And again, we'll always have pr- people in the periphery in our churches. And your church needs to be a safe place. And we'll talk about this in a minute. Where people can come and just kind of be. But that's not God's plan. Ultimately, his goal is for them to get connected. To get connected. Because you can't have support. You can't be supported until you are connected. And so every single weekend. Every single weekend at North Rock, we don't, we don't make tons and tons of announcements. Um, we, we, it, and it's a challenge, I'm telling you, to not do that. It's so easy to stand up there and go through 20 different things that's happening around the church. Um, but there is one thing that we say every single week. We tell people how to get connected. You just think, well, that, that seems so simple. That's not very profound. I know, and yet so many people don't do it. But if somebody were to tell me, and I had this, it's been a long time, but I have had people tell me after church, I just don't really know how to get connected around here. I I always look at them and go, were you not, how long, you've been coming for how many, three weeks, and you've, you're telling me you don't know how to get, because every single week, we tell you how to get connected. Hey, we believe that everybody should be connected to the local church. At North Rock, the way you get connected is, and then we tell them exactly how to get connected. We're systematic about that. We have a, what, what you might call a, a very clear and easy on-ramp. So, so they know if you want to get connected, this is how you get connected. And let me, let me tell you why you need to get connected. To encourage them as to why, and then we tell them exactly how. And the way we do that is... It's, it's, it's not a new idea. A lot of churches are doing it, but something we call growth track. And it's, it, happens, it happens on Sunday afternoons after our services. And, and it's just it's a simple little you know, hour and a half class where they come and hear about the vision of the church. And they get a chance to, to do membership. We do membership. And, and uh, they can get connected to uh, our serve team. Called our, we call it our rock star team. How to get connected. Connected. We also talk about small groups every week. Small groups. It's another way people get connected. It's another way that they can be known. Small groups are integral to the life of, of our church. As, as the church grows, we want to always keep it small. And the way that we do that is through small groups. Like I said last night, there is no way that, that as your church grows that you could know every single person's name. And even if you do know their name, you, you really can't really know them. But somebody needs to know them. And, and, and so we do that through, through small groups at North Rock. And uh, we have, you know, this last semester and this semester, we have about 60% of our attendance in small groups, which is, which is very significant. It has not always been that way, but we have worked very, 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 very hard um, to, make that, to make that a reality. But we have to be intentional about systematically connecting people to our church. So I want to challenge you to look at what you do and how you do it. And when people walk through your doors for the first time, is it very clear and obvious, if I want to get connected here, 
how they can get connected, all right? Uh, number three, the third thing I, I, I discovered that I needed to be intentional about was empowering leaders, empowering leaders. Empowering leaders. If this podium were, it wouldn't work right now because it's tilted, but if this podium were, were, were flat and I were to take a, a, a big jar of, of, of uh, peanut M&Ms, let's say, and I started pouring them out on this table. Um, I, I, could, I, could, I could pour quite a few. You know, if it were flat, it could hold quite a few. But eventually, as I poured the M&Ms, some would start to fall off the edges and, and, and onto the floor. And there's really nothing I could do about that. Like, the only way I could cause this table to hold more peanut M&Ms is to, is to have a bigger table or expand the table. And then I could pour more. But it, a, a, as it is... If I just poured M&Ms on it, they would start to fall off. And a, a lot of times in our churches, leaders, the reason that we cannot hold more people that God wants to bring to us and actually even does bring to us sometimes, they just come in and they float right back out, is because our, our, our base of leadership is simply just not big enough. It's not big enough. You, you as a senior leader, you can only handle so, so much. You can only pastor so much. You can only care for so much, so many people. I mean, how many people can you go visit in hospitals until you can't do that anymore? How many people can direct report to you until it gets to a place where it's unhealthy? It's unhealthy for you, and it's unhealthy for them. At the end of the day, they're really not being cared for. So the way, that we, the, the way that we prepare ourselves to handle more people is to expand our, our leadership base, to empower others to lead. And, and I discovered after, after a couple of years, we got to have more leaders. And, and we still need more leaders. So we are intentional about empowering leaders. We work very, very hard. And and, and I want you to, in case you're misunderstanding me, I'm not talking about hiring more staff members. Yes, we do that, some of that too, and you do some of that as well. But I'm talking about empowering volunteer leaders. The mission that God has called us to is so significant, it's so large, there is no way we could ever accomplish it with only, you know, pay, paid, if you will, or pastoral staff. And, and the truth is, it's not God's plan for us to just build the church that way, to just have the staff doing all the work, staff unlocking the doors and locking the doors and doing all the vacuuming. It's, it, that's, not God's, that's not God's plan, you know, greeting and teaching kids. I, 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 God's plan for us, the ministry, is to equip the saints for ministry so that they can do ministry. And God has placed in every single individual that walks through the doors of your church, God has placed a purpose. And God has placed a unique ability. And as Ephesians 2 says, they, they are God's handiwork. We are all God's handiwork. But not just the pastoral team. Man, everybody that sits in your building is God's handiwork. They're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for them to do. And as, as leaders, as ministry, our job is to equip the saints for ministry, to, to help them, to help them discover their unique design. To help, them, to help them find that place where they can serve. And then start serving and start living out that purpose. It's amazing how when people start living out their purpose, how fulfilling it is. There's nothing like laying your head on your pillow at night. 
There's nothing like laying your head on your pillow at night and knowing that you teamed up with God today to help someone find him. There's nothing like knowing you're part of that bridge that separates, uh, that connects someone between being lost to being found. There's nothing like that feeling. And I wholeheartedly believe that. And so I wholeheartedly believe that the people who come to my church, whenever I'm encouraging them to serve, it is not just so that we have somebody to vacuum the floor because it needs to be vacuumed and I don't have time to do it. We're going, the church is going to be blessed as, as a byproduct of everybody living out their purpose. But I wholeheartedly believe that the individual serving is the one that's going to be exponentially more blessed than we are. It's the same principle with giving. I, I, I preach that tithing is significant and, and important. And the church is going to be blessed if everybody will give. But listen, you're the one that's going to be blessed when you tithe. Because you're the one who God said, I'll open up the I'm gonna floodgates of heaven. We'll be pouring out so many blessings. You won't even have enough storehouses to, to contain it. And I, and I believe that. It's the exact same principle with, with serving, with serving. So we need a systematic way to get people connected and to empower people to serve in our, in our church. In Acts chapter 1, Judas uh, was gone. He had, of course, um, sold Jesus to the Romans and, and then taken his life and where there was 12, well, there were 12 disciples. Now there were only 11, and so there's a leadership gap. There's, there's, there's a hole. And this is Acts 1. The disciples had no idea what was coming in Acts 2. You know, Jesus had told them something was going to happen, but there's no way they could know. They had no idea what it was going to be. They just knew there was a, a leadership gap, and they needed to fill a, a hole. And Acts chapter 1, verse number 6, says that they gathered around him and they asked, Lord, um, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Again, and this, this helps my feelings, and if you're a pastor, I hope this helps your feelings. Because even Jesus' best and brightest had no idea what was about to happen. And um, I often feel like a spectator in, in my church. I mean, I, 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 I want to say this is where we're going to be. And I, I talked to Pastor Isaac about this last night. I, I plan, you know, I dream. I certainly don't want to be guilty of undervisioning God, God's church. And, and so I plan and I dream. But at the same time, I always say, and if, if God breathes on it, you know, this is what we would like to see happen. But I, I certainly am never 100% sure. Very seldom when I even make any decision <laughs> am I 100% sure. I mean, that's just the reality of it, y'all. If, if I can get to 70% sure, I'm doing pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, but if I could predict everything that was going to happen at North Rock in the next, you know, four or five years, I'd probably be reasoning God out of the equation. Um, so these, these disciples had no idea what was coming, but they knew that there was a leadership gap. Judas is gone, and so they met, and they discussed, and they decided on Matthias. And, and the truth is, and, and this is not on the screen, but you might want to write this down. While we cannot plan a move of God, we can prepare for one. While we cannot plan a move of God, you can prepare for one. You can. 
You, 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 can, you can empower people to lead. You can expand the leadership base and so, that, so that when God does want to pour uh, peanut M&Ms or Skittles out on your church, you have the capacity to hold and process and facilitate all of the people that he wants to bring. Something that is a no-no with, with, with our staff um, is for staff members to say maybe we had a problem on, on a weekend that was a big weekend and, and them to sit in a meeting and say, well, that was only because we had really big crowds that day. No, no, you, you need to fix that. Whatever the issue was, solve it because God would like to bring us really, really big crowds every single weekend. So, so, so don't ever use the excuse of, well, the only reason that happens is because we had so many people there that day. Yeah, okay. But, but God would like to bring us so many people every single weekend, right? So let's prepare. Let's do what we have to do. This, and then, of course, Acts chapter 2 happened. They, they didn't know what was going to happen. They just knew there was a gap they needed to fill. And then Acts chapter 2 did happen. And I'm pretty sure you guys know the story. They went from 1,000. I'm sorry, they went from 120 to 3,120 in one day. Talk about kids' facility space issues. Talk about parking lot issues and, and people not being able to sit in the chair that they sit in every week issues. And can you really even only imagine what that was like? And then again, Acts chapter 2 was God's plan all along. He knew what he had planned. He, he knew what was, what was coming. The disciples did not, but they knew they had to prepare for something. Prepare for something. So let me challenge you, leaders. Let me challenge you, senior leaders and, and leaders of teams and departments, music pastors, to empower others. Expand your leadership base. What, what does that look like practically? Practically. Um, just, just, I didn't really plan on this, but let me just give you some practical ways. One of the, one of the phrases that we use, and maybe this will help somebody. I heard Andy, St Andy Stanley say this years ago. No, it wasn't even, this is not an Andy thing. This is something I read somewhere else. Um, but the idea of, that we, that we present to our leaders is to lead like you're leaving. Lead like you're leaving. So you're not leaving, but lead as if. In one month, you were moving to Hawaii. You know, you, like you won the lottery and you're moving to Hawaii. And you have to prepare somebody to do what you've been doing. What if you were leaving in 30 days? That's how you need to lead all the time. It'd blow your mind as to how that leadership base would begin to grow and expand. Right? If you empower people in that way. Prepare people with that mentality. Lead like you're leaving. That's just a phrase that we use. Lead like you're leaving. Lead like you're leaving. Everybody's mentoring someone all the time. In general, you need to be mentoring two, three, four people all the time, as many as you possibly can. Another phrase that we use, this is the Andy Stanley phrase, is push yes as far down as possible. Let me explain what I mean. Push yes as far down into the organization as possible. On your team... Work very hard for people who are below you and even below the people below you to have the power, the ability to say yes, to make decisions, if you will, so that every decision doesn't come right back up to the top. You know, whenever they have to come back to you to ask you, um, should we get chocolate chip cookies or oatmeal cookies? Well, you're doing nothing but stalling and slowing down the process. 
And people should never feel like they can't make a decision between oatmeal cookies and chocolate chip cookies. Listen, if you don't like the oatmeal cookies and they get the oatmeal cookies, then just tell them after the fact, hey, next time let's get the chocolate chip cookies. But make sure that they have, they feel empowered to make a decision themselves. I heard someone say last week at an event that I was at, same idea, um, push Push the ability to make decisions away from the center, away from the center. Now, in order to do that, in order to empower people, and, and so that they, in fact, people won't feel empowered unless they have ability to make decisions. But along with that ability to make decisions, there always has to be a safety net as well, because they have to be able to fail, because they're going to make some bad decisions. But I mean, you do too. I mean, even though they come to you and ask you, sometimes you have, you don't know, and you make a bad decision too. So they have to have the ability to make a bad decision. So along with the ability to say yes, there also has to be a safety net, a safety net. And, and I, I tell my, my, my staff members, my direct reports, listen, I'm going to let you make that decision. But they know that if they screw it up or if it, 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 it's something that happens that, ugh, man, that didn't, shouldn't have happened that way, they know there's tons of grace. And I'm not going to pull their ability to say yes away from them. We're just going to try again. We're just going to try again. I'm talking about just some simple ideas as it relates to expanding your leadership base. Here's, a, here's an experiment you can try. Here's an experiment. The next time someone who's a direct report to you or someone who comes to you and asks you a, a question, if you're wanting them to feel empowered and they come and ask you a question, here's what you say. You ready for this? This is big. This is profound. Here's what you say. You decide. You decide. And then just turn around. Even if you know the answer, even if you know what they should do, tell them, you decide. We're talking about expanding our leadership base. We're talking about empowering other leaders so that everything is not funneling through you. And if you're one of those that want everything to funnel through you, well, you need some personal growth. You need some personal growth because you're not going to be able to build God's kingdom in a healthy, effective way if everything has to funnel through you. So it's just a little simple experiment. You decide. I'm going to hurry along here. Okay. Hurry along here. I want to go back to the story of Jesus at Samaria. So Jesus was intentional. He was intentional. John chapter 4, verse 5. He came to a town in Samaria. Verse 6 says Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, tired as he was, uh, I'm verse Verse number six, verse number six. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, I don't have verse six, he sat down by the well, and it was noon. All right? John chapter four, verse six, says that Jesus sat down. Everybody say he sat down. And it was about noon. Jesus was intentional about coming to the well at noon. At noon. Very unusual time to come to the wells in the middle of the day. It's very hot. It's not the time that people typically came to the well. It was, it was not a busy time at the well. But the Samaritan woman came to the well in the middle of the day. The reason that she came to the well in the middle of the day is because this was not a time of the day that a lot of people typically came to the well. She came to the well at a time where people that was not busy because she did not want to see anybody. She didn't want to have a lot of interaction. And now, verse number 7, when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Verse 9 says, 
The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. You, you, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? First of all, Jews and Samaritans, they don't interact much or at all. Second of all, I, I'm a woman. And, and in that culture, in that era, sadly, women were viewed more as property than as people. And so she couldn't believe, you know, as a man, he was even talking to her. So she said, you're, you're, a, you're a Jew. Almost, almost feels insulting the way, that, the way that she said it. Like, we don't chat. You're different than me. We, we don't talk. And Jesus, of course, Jesus could have been offended. He could have been taken aback when she said, you're, you're a Jew. He could have been, well, you know, you're a Samaritan, you know, and all messy and whatnot. I mean, he, he, could have, he could have attacked her right then and there, but Jesus was patient. If you're taking notes, Jesus was intentional, and Jesus was patient in his process to reach. He was, he was patient. Anybody in the room wrestle with patience? Anybody wrestle with patience? Listen, if you put the five people that know me the most in a room together and had them describe or put on a whiteboard the characteristics of Jonathan Moore, patience would not show up on that whiteboard. Would not show up. I'm the dude who stands in line at, at, at a grocery store or academy or Walmart, whatever it is for you, and I, I stand in, in two lines at once. I stand in one physically, and I stand in another one mentally. Like, is that line going faster than mine? And, and, and it always goes faster. You know, that's Murphy's Law. But I, I, I wrestle with, with impatience. I, I live with impatience, but Jesus was so patient. First of all, he patiently sat down at the well and waited for her to arrive. Do you know why Jesus sat down at the well? Do you know why he waited? Because she wasn't there yet. He was patient because she wasn't there yet. There are a lot of people that come to our churches. They're just not there yet. They're on this incredible journey and they're in, a, they're in the right place. They're in a safe place. But we have to be patient with them because they're not there yet. I, I, I have a buddy in, in, in San Antonio that we met right after we moved. There's actually a neighbor and our kids went to school together and, and found out about us planning a church before we ever even planted a church. And we had a conversation and he, he told me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish. So, I mean, I don't the Christianity thing. It's, I don't really see Jesus like, you know, you see Jesus. I don't see him as the Messiah. And, and a great, fine conversation. Well, about six years into our church plant, um, his wife had started coming to our church some. Again, this is years after I met him. They started coming um, a, a little bit. And, and she convinced him to come to a, a marriage series, a marriage series that we were doing. And um, after he came to that marriage series, he didn't miss a one, did not miss a Sunday. He asked me for lunch, and we went and sat down at lunch, and, and he said, listen, I think we're going to start coming to your church. Again, this is not a, not a Christian. I think we're going to start coming to your church. Now, my families, they're going to come all the time. You'll probably only see me, you know, once every six weeks, maybe once every two months. Um, oh, great. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, believe it or not, he, he's, he started coming um, every weekend, and he comes every weekend, and now has been coming for about five years every single weekend. Even when his family is out of town, he'll come by himself to church on the weekend. 
And I, I've, I've had him say it about four years ago after an Easter weekend. Of course, we're preaching about Jesus. Preach about Jesus every week, but it was Easter. I mean, the whole thing was about Jesus, Messiah. And he said, wow, wow, almost the tears in his eyes. That was an incredible week. Now, I don't see it, you know, just like you do, but that was, that was incredible. We've invited him into our small groups, he and his, his family. And, and I watched about a year ago in one of my small groups as he sat, because I go around the room and make everybody talk in my small group, and he didn't really know what to say sometimes. But um, as tears were in his eyes and he was talking about the feeling that he gets or that he had on a particular weekend at church. And I'm sitting there knowing, knowing, knowing that God is working on his heart, that God is working on his life. Now, I'm just sitting there on the well. I'm just waiting. I'm just sitting waiting on him to get here. But I, I can guarantee you that I'm going to see. I'm going to see him surrender his life to Jesus. I can guarantee you that. It's been years, and he still hasn't quite taken that step. But he keeps coming in the house. He keeps coming in the house. He's not there yet, but he keeps coming. He keeps coming. And Jesus sat down because the woman at the well, she, she wasn't there yet. So he sat down, and he waited. My pastor used to say all the time, church is a chance. Church is a chance, son. Let them let come to church. Just let them sit in God's prayer. Let them sit in God's house. That's why I say we're always going to have people in the periphery because there are always going to be people who are just, are just not sure and they're, they, they're, they're carrying so much baggage. But let's be patient. Let's, let's understand that it's a, it's a process. It's a process. It's a process. She said, you're a Jew. Jesus could have literally been irritated by what she said. He could have gone off on that girl. Sometimes in Christianity, I'm afraid. That we go off on people, that we speak our mind for the purpose of speaking our mind. And, and sometimes we'll win an argument and lose a relationship. And if we're not careful, ostracize the very people that God is calling us to reach. So it's okay for you to stand for truth. If somebody's not standing for truth, then, uh, then, then you know, the enemy will take over. It's okay for us to stand for truth, but let's be careful. Let's, let, let's be careful not to ostracize the people that God is calling us to, to reach. Let's be patient. He sat down. Verse number 10 says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Living water. Now, I, don't miss this because Jesus started talking to her about water. Water and, and water that he had to offer her. And, of course, we know he was talking about uh, the spirit. But, but, but he, he, when he talked about water, it really piqued her interest. It piqued, he, she, he was speaking her language. Remember, she had walked from wherever she lived all the way to the well in the heat of the day. Water in, in the Middle East, especially during this time period, was a priceless, a precious commodity. Precious commodity. So when he started talking to her about water, something that was, that was very meaningful to her, it connected. Immediately she was intrigued. Wait a minute, water? We're talking about water here? I just, I needed water in my house. I have no running water, so I had to walk all the way here to get water. And you're telling me that there's water that'll cause me not to have to do this anymore? Watch this. Jesus connected with her on a level that she could understand. He connected with her about, about a subject that she could understand. On a level that she could understand. Like real life talk. Sometimes if we're not careful, the church will answer questions that nobody's asking. 
Nobody's asking that question. Why are you answering that question? We want to connect with people in a way that they can understand. We want to speak their language. I want to connect with people in San Antonio in a way that they understand. Kingsway, we want to, we want to connect with people in, in Beeville in a way that they can understand. He knew what she needed. He knew her stress points. He knew what would pique her interest. Back to Acts chapter 2. Y'all, y'all remember Acts chapter 2. Y'all, y'all know what happened. I got this Pentecostal background, and I, I know that there's a lot of Pentecostal background here. I mean, you know what happened in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one place. Suddenly a sound from heaven. You, you know what happened. And, and I quoted in King James because that's how I learned it. I quote every, all scripture in King James Version because that's how I learned it growing up. But, <clears throat> but you, you know what happened. Spirit fell. Crazy stuff happened. People in the streets, like, these, a bunch of, they, these people are, are, are drunk. It's the time of a festival, so there were people from all over in, in, in Jerusalem, and they hear this commotion coming from the upper room as, as, as they're filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues, speaking in languages, this crazy miracle, languages that they, didn't, that they did not know. And, and in Acts chapter 2, verse 7, the people who were there said, uh, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking, you know, these different languages, aren't all these Galileans? Verse 8, then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, I don't want to mess with your theology here, but I want to get practical about what's happening here. I, I want to get. I want to bring this home in a very practical way, because this amazing supernatural experience happened in Jerusalem during this uh, on the day of Pentecost. People heard the wonders of God proclaimed in a language they could understand. God wanted the gospel to be understood. By everybody. God loved our world so much that when the church began in Acts 2, he allowed the good news to be spoken on a level where it could be understood by everyone who was around. And he's still doing this today. He's still doing this today. He still wants the church to speak the language of our culture so that our culture can understand it. And Jesus lived this out by talking to this woman who had been walking and she was hot and burning up and it was a miserable day for her to be walking, a miserable time of the day to get water. And, and, and Jesus said, I, you know, there's some water. I got some water for you that, that you'd probably like. And he immediately piqued her interest. I mean, if he would, he would have used some other avenue, who knows? She'd have been like, what, what are you even talking about? Would you stop talking to me? But he piqued her interest because he talked about something that she connected with. She connected with. This is why, as I talked about earlier, I, I preach about things that I'd really, I'd just soon preach about faith. I would just soon preach about, you know, Jesus showing up, you know, and asking the invalid, you know, who'd been sick for 38 years, do you want to be made? I'd just as soon preach about that every week. And I do preach about that stuff. But you know what I'm preaching about tonight, Pastor Isaac? Dating. I'm preaching about dating this weekend. We're doing a series called Love. And I know maybe you shouldn't say this in church, but Love, Sex, and Marriage. We're doing a series. These are the questions that our world is asking. And we will have a full house, y'all. And you know who needs to hear about dating? Our world. 
They need to hear what, our, what the good book says about dating. Instead of learning all this stuff from locker rooms and Instagram, they need to learn some stuff from God's Word. And it's the it's questions that people are asking. Does it fire me up to preach about dating? No, no, no. It'll be fun. I'll enjoy it. I'd rather just preach about faith. I'd rather just, you know, preach about Jesus. But we're going to preach about dating. We're going to still preach about Jesus, of course, but I'm preaching about dating this week. And next week I'm going to preach a little bit more about, about dating because these are the questions that our world is asking. I want to connect with them. I want to connect with them in a way that they understand, in a way that piques their interest, piques their, piques their interest. The packaging matter. Our message is, of course, timeless. 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 It does not change. It is eternal. The message is eternal. But our methods, man, they're going to always be changing. The way that we package the message is always going to be changing depending on our culture. And Jesus showed this when that woman showed up at the well. He started talking to her about water. Let me, let me finish this out here um, this morning. He continues in verse number 14 of John 4. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. You see how he's connected with her. She's still thinking, you mean I don't have to? But I want you to notice this. She called him, she called him Sir. Do we have that? John chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. Do we have that? We may not. But in verse number 15... Verse number 15, she called him sir. So first she called him, you're a Jew. Now she's calling him sir. You're a Jew. But now his patience with her and, 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 and spending time with her. She calls him sir. And then if you hang around Jesus long enough, you know, church is a chance. If you hang around Jesus long enough, he will start dealing with your issues. And in verse number 16, I don't have, I don't have this on the screen, but he he talks. He says, "Go and go and call your husband and come back." And she said, "I don't have a husband." And and he said, "I know you've had you've had five husbands, and the dude you're with now is not your husband." And uh, you know, you hang around long enough, and 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 Jesus will deal with with your issues. But but sometimes it's just to sit and wait. But if you hang around long enough, he, he'll deal with some things. And and in verse number nineteen, the woman looked at him again and said, "Sir." This is John 4, 19. I can see that you are a prophet. So she called him Jew at first. Now she's calling him sir. Then she called him sir. Now she's calling him a prophet. She's getting closer and closer and closer. She's still not there yet. But, but, but by hanging around him, she's starting to see. She's starting to get some clarity as to what's really going on here. And again, we have people sitting in our churches. Pastors, you have people in your churches every single week. They're not there yet. They're not there yet. They may not understand anything about Jesus. They might think, well, he's a good man. He's kind of a sir. They might be like my, my, my Jewish friend who kind of sees Jesus as, as a prophet. Just not, not really a great prophet. Not really there yet. But then in verse number 25, the woman says to him, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I... I am the one speaking to you. I am Messiah. I am Messiah. So we've gone from Jew to Sir to Prophet to Messiah. But it's a process. It's a process. And it takes time. It takes work. It takes intentionality. It takes energy. But ultimately, Jesus 
you know, you know what happened. He changed her life and then changed others through her. Like she went and was bringing people back. You got to come see. You got to come see this man. He was intentional. He was patient. He connected with her in a way she could understand. And it changed her life. Lord Jesus, God, as servants for your kingdom, for your glory, we, we want to do everything that we need to do in order to be the vessels that you've called us to be. I don't want to ever get in the way of what you want to do. I want to make sure that Jonathan gets out of the way so that you can be seen. So Jesus, give me the courage, the audacity to make whatever changes I need to make. Lord, to, even if I have to do things in ways that I really don't even want to, that, that, that doesn't necessarily speak to me personally. But Lord, as long as I'm speaking the language of the culture, of the people that you're calling me to reach, that, that's, what, that's what matters. Lord, teach me to be intentional. Not, not to be accidental or haphazard in how I lead my church, but to be intentional about it, Lord Jesus. Be intentional about growing myself. Be intentional about uh, expanding the leadership base and empowering other leaders in my church, Lord, so that you can bring us all of the people that you are wanting to bring us. We want to be prepared. We want to be prepared for the move that you want to bring. But I want to be intentional. I want to be intentional. Lord Jesus, give us the audacity to change what needs to change. Give us the courage, Lord Jesus, to be to be those leaders that you have called us to be. I want to be, I want to be patient, Lord. <laughs> I want to be patient. I want to be patient. Lord, and even, even when I feel like I've been patient and I don't need to be patient anymore, God, teach me more patience. Let me be patient. Patient. I want to speak the language of my, of my culture, of my city, so that you can so that you can change them. Lord, bottom line, we're watering, we're planting, we're weeding. You're the one bringing the increase. I know that any, any life that's healed, any life that's changed, it's all because of you. Lord, you're just allowing us to kind of go before you and prepare so that your spirit can flow and heal hearts and heal marriages and break addictions. So Lord, use me. Use me. Use me. I pray it, I ask it in the name that's above every name. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. I'm going to give us a few minutes. If you have a question, if anyone has a question they'd like to ask Pastor Jonathan, we want to take advantage of his being here and... Um, Certainly, I know there are some things that have piqued your interest or some thoughts. Uh, my question, Pastor, would be, what, how do you preserve culture while you're giving away responsibility? Preser preserving culture, that's a good question, while giving away responsibility. Um, culture is something that we constantly revisit. Culture, like vision, tends to leak. So you have to constantly revisit. Um, and so it's, it's, it, we have very specific culture points. And 
uh, that, that we challenge our, our leaders with and challenge our staff with. But culture is either, it's always being created. It's either you are, you are intentionally creating it or it's creating itself. So our, our culture comes from either what we're intentional about or what we allow, or what we allow. So one of the things as it relates to culture, if you see something that does not fit your culture, you have no choice but to, 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 to handle it, to deal with it. And of course, always using vision, always using vision. Everything is vision-driven. Everything is about the why. I mean, culture has to do with why and what, but um, when, when, it comes, when it comes to preaching culture and teaching about why we do, uh, uh, about what we're doing, we err on about 80 to 90 percent why we're doing this and then about 10, 20 percent what we're doing. So if we're talking about, you know, doing a, our, our worship service a little bit different or making, you know, adding lights or any little, anything that would be, you know, a what, a very tangible thing, we always lead. It's, it's about 80, 90 percent why. Here's why we're doing it. And when you, when you help people understand the vision behind it, it's much more palatable, even if it's something that they don't understand or does, doesn't make sense to them. Um, and, and as it relates to, you know, when you're expanding your leadership base, culture is just something that it, 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 it's, it's intangible, okay? It's intangible, although we, we talk about it. So, I mean, I have, when we bring a staff member on, I have culture points that we talk through every, every time a staff member comes on, and I generally personally handle a lot of that stuff my, myself because I want them to understand how significant this is and how important these, these cultural values are, are to us. Um, and, and the truth is, anytime something happens that does not fit our culture, we just, we immediately deal with it. I mean, again, and things will happen in, in, in even in our top staff meetings. I, I mean, I won't be totally candid because my son's sitting here, but it'd be, it'd be something happened last week in a meeting, and I immediately, I immediately, you know, kind of spoke against it, if you will, in a, in a, not, not in a combative way. But I just want to make sure that anytime something feels like it doesn't quite fit our culture. One of, the, one of our culture ideas at North Rock is that, again, serving, as I said a moment ago, serving is not just to get jobs done, but it's to help people live out their purpose. So it should be spiritually invigorating for them to serve. Like, they should enjoy it. It shouldn't be like, oh, I have to go to the nursery again. We want people in the nursery that want to be in the nursery. And believe it or not, y'all, there's a lot of people that want to, you know, hold crying babies and apparently change messy diapers. So one of our culture, you know, that part of our culture, we want, we want people to want to do what they're doing. So we're always working to make sure, if you don't like what you're doing, let's find something else to do. There's tons of areas for you to serve, tons of areas for you to serve. So anytime I start to hear and, and every now and then I will about someone who's burnt out and they just, oh, God, I'm so tired of having to. I, I immediately go, what? Because that, that doesn't even make sense. If you're, because that's not our culture. Our culture is for you to be excited about what you're doing. You get to serve. We have it all over the building, especially for our worship team. I can't believe I get to do this. We get to do this. This is not, oh, well, I have to go greet at the door this week. No, I get to do this. Um, so, so, I mean, we, we, we hit it, we immediately come against it, I guess I should say, if, if we sense anything is, is against our culture. But again, culture, just remember that culture is what you create intentionally or what you allow, what you allow. So, um, if you have bad culture, <clears throat> you've allowed it, 
It's just the bottom line. You, you, you've allowed it. And so you just change it. You, you, you tweak it. You tweak it. I don't know if that fully answers that question, but anybody else have something? I can't say that I'll have an answer, but. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, it has morphed through the years, but um, what it is right now, um, because we're, we're in a construction project, we do it two Sundays a month. We do it the first and third Sunday of the month, and we're consistent with that. Again, consistency, having consistency helps with that easy on-ramp. If, you, if, you, if it's inconsistent, then people... People might not know how to get connected, but um, first and third Sunday. And so the first portion of Growth Track, it happens, it's, it's essentially 90 minutes. And right now it happens after the third service on Sunday. So it happens at 1245. Again, because we're in construction, this is how we're having to do it. But um, the, first, the first about 35 minutes, um, I actually talk, and right now it's, it's on a video. Because I've, I've just preached four times, so I'm not going to get up and I don't get up and teach again. But it's a video of me teaching and talking about our church values, um, talking about culture, talking about what drives us. We have four big ideas, connect, grow, discover, live. We, want every, we think that everybody should connect to God, you know, relationally. That's, that's surrendering their life to Jesus. And first and foremost, that happens for us in the weekend experience. We know that people connect to God in all sorts of ways. I mean, my mother was filled with the spirit out in the woods by herself so but, but so I, we understand that but at north rock the number one way we facilitate salvations and i honestly think it's about 90 percent of people who surrender their life do so in in a, in a service format of some sort um and so we connect people to god first and foremost through our weekend experience and then the second one is grow and um we facilitate that through small groups spiritual growth happens best in community not the only way that people grow. Of course, we grow in all sorts of environments. But it happens best in community. So we, we, we want everybody to get connected to a small group. Um, our, our third step is uh, discover, discovering your unique design. As I've talked about this morning, we are all God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's masterpiece, other translations say. Uh, it literally comes from the Greek word poema, which is poem. You are God's poem. So everybody has a unique design of a, a, a purpose, if you will, to fulfill. And a lot of people don't understand that. Like, me? Yes, you. And until you discover that design and start living it out, you're always going to wrestle with fulfillment. You're going to struggle with being fulfilled in your life. No matter how much money you make or you know, how big of a boss you are, you're going to wrestle with fulfillment un unless you have discovered God's unique design in you and you're living that out. That, that kind of is what comes into play as it relates to people serving in the place that they're comfortable. You wouldn't want me in the nursery. That's not my unique design. <laughs> it's not. My unique design is, is to do other things, not to be in, in the nursery. But there are people who love it. Again, there are people who love it. So everybody has a unique design, and we want them to discover that design. And so... I'm going through step one right now. And, and then we want them to uh, live, live in their purpose, live, live that purpose out. So I explain all of that, like in that first 30 minutes. I go through all of that, kind of, kind of the four steps of our church. And then in the second session, like the second 45-minute session, um, they do a, a, a disc assessment, or a personality profile on themselves, and they also uh, do like a spiritual gifts assessment to kind of help them see some things about themselves that they probably already knew, 
uh, but it just creates some clarity. It, again, that, that portion is designed, is designed to help them discover their design. And then the third portion of Growth Track, again, it it's all happens in about 90 minutes, 90 minutes to two hours, um, is where they get, get to connect to uh, our, our Rockstar team, which is our, our serve team at North Rock. And, you know, for instance, we had 33 people go through Growth Track last weekend, and I think 28 of them connected to our, our serve team. So we got 28 new volunteers last weekend. Um, and again, it's, it's just systematic. It's systematically funneling people through. But it's, it's, it's life-giving. It's incredibly life-giving. And, you know, sometimes people don't know where they want to serve, but a lot of times they do. A lot of times they do. So they may serve in a, in the, on the production team. They might serve in, in our kids' kids area. Um, they might want to, you know, join the worship team. You, you can't just join the worship team. Uh, I mean, I know our worship pastors understand that. you got to try out and all that stuff. And uh, But... <clears throat> but uh, you never know. Sometimes we do find some 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 diamonds, some diamonds. So that's kind of how Growth Track works. Once we get our building in the next about three months, we're going to start doing Growth Track every week again, and we'll do uh, we'll we're going to split it up into two different steps: step one and step two. And step one will be the portion where I teach and they do their spiritual gifts assessment, and then step two, the following weekend, will be where they get to. Uh, join a rock star team and get connected and and get trained and get or have small orientation for whatever team they're on at the close of our growth track every weekend we have reps from every department there like mason will sometime rep for the worship team and probably the student team i don't know what all you rep for but <clears throat> but reps for those teams will be there. so there'll be a rep for the usher team there a rep for the kids team there there, there may be um you know, eight or nine first impressions will be there, and so um, they'll essentially almost recruit pre people to their teams. It's amazing how you can get people to serve on your team if you're there and, and kind of recruiting them. So that helps. That helps. It helps. That's kind of what it looks like as a in a you know thirty thousand foot view. Yeah. I'm talking about just tenacity. Tenacity, 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 and stay from the stage. Lots of intentional preaching about it. Um, again, that's another one of those things that I don't just love preaching about. Uh, granted, I understand that it's life-giving for the people. I'd rather be preaching faith, but I have to preach a sermon about being connected and having healthy, life-giving relationships. Because, and I do believe wholeheartedly, we all need healthy, life-giving relationships. I use, the, I use the term, we have enough vampire relationships in our life. <laughs> They're sucking the very life out of you. We need relationships where, you know, where people are, are giving us life. They're propelling us forward. They're, they're helping us move down the field to war in, in, into the forward that God wants from us. There's so many people, and I brought, mentioned this briefly last night, are in relationships, whether it's a friendships, uh, dating relationships, where people are just literally holding you back from forward. I mean, you're trying to move forward, and they're holding you back. And um, we need healthy, life-giving relationships. We don't really believe you can fully live out. Um, you know, it's hard to live out New Testament faith in general without, if you're not surrounded by a body of believers, a body of believers. And um, so preaching, 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 preaching. And, you know, you get the right staff in place, too, that will help it, that will help it. Um, and, 
it, it became, I had a friend who, literally, and this was only about a year ago, a year and a half ago, he came and he was, he was observing, and he came into one of our staff meetings and said, I just have an observance. And I said, okay. He said, I, you say that small groups are the backbone of your church, and um, I believe that you want it to be and you think that way, but like when it comes to growth track, he said, I know that y'all are all about growth track and getting people connected because I hear that every weekend, every single weekend on the stage. I hear it every single weekend. I said that a moment ago. He said, but small groups are not necessarily on the stage every single weekend. You're not talking about small groups every single weekend. And um, I said, you're right. You're right. And we made that change. We implemented small groups literally. I mean, it's a 10-second blurb in our video or, or Probably more than that. It's more like 30 seconds in our in our video announcements, and 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 then I might make a statement on stage, and maybe when someone's closing the service, especially at the beginning of our small group semesters, we do semester-based small groups, which I think is I think is way healthier because there's a beginning and an ending, so it's not just like I'm stepping into this open-ended, never-ending, oh God, how do I get out of this thing type situation, so. Uh, again, not a new idea, but there are different schools of thought. We do semester-based. We do 12 weeks, 12 or 13 weeks in the spring, 6 weeks in the summer, and 12 or 13 weeks in the fall. And um, so at the beginning of those, like the first three or four weeks, like again this weekend, we're about thir three weeks into our launching our spring semester. We'll talk about it from the stage heavily again, heavily again. And we make it easy for people to join. Online, you go online and pick, 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 a, pick a group from a directory and join, and it's, it, you can contact the leader right then and there. Make it very, very easy. It's a big launch day. We actually do two weekends where it's big. So just really working hard at it. And we've been well below average, really, um, until the last, really, two semesters. The last two semesters, we finally, where we need to be, uh, you know, we're in a healthy area. Okay, accountability. Well, <clears throat> I, we, do, we do different things. Um, the, the truth is, I, we, have, we have what we call span of care that we talk about a lot. Span of care is, in general, one person can take care of no more than, and it's different for different people, five to seven people that you're, you're really you're responsible for. I mean, I know that there are probably some rock stars that could, that could take care of more than that. Uh, but for me, I actually don't want any more than five that are direct reports to me. So having knowing who your direct report is helps with accountability. And then I, um, I personally meet with like my five direct reports. I meet with them once a month. Of course, I'm, I'm always, I'm with them all throughout the week, but I have a personal private meeting with them once a month. And it's anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. And uh, it's their opportunity to talk to me about anything going on in their world, about things going on in their life. I mean, and honestly, I spend a lot of that time just talking about family and kids and, um, you know, making sure, you know, marriage is healthy. Because at North Rock, I mean, our driving value is it's your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship you know, your kids and family, and 
And then, then ministry comes after that. Even if you're a full-time minister, it's, it's God, spouse, kids, family. That's how we see it. And so um, I make sure that they're healthy there. Um, and so then I expect them to do the same for the people that are their direct reports. They do the same thing. And then they do the same thing. So, so we, we try to keep a healthy span of care in place all the way down to you know, the greet team that stands at the front door. If there's 50 people on that team or 100 people on that team, um, there needs to be, for about every 7 to 10 volunteers, there needs to be somebody, somebody that's watching them, whether it's a service captain because we're, we're broke up and every team is different, um, but a service captain or somebody that's watching them. And so that they don't just fall off the map and suddenly, you know, where's John? I haven't seen him in six months. Well, somebody knows. So I can't know. There's just really no way. I might not even know John was gone. I might not even knew his name was John. But, but somebody knows that John, John, John's gone and they know, they know where he is. Um, so a healthy span of care in place. And that takes work. And that's messy. And They'll constantly be tweaking and working on it. You have to work at that to have a healthy span of care in place. But we teach that and we, we model it from the top down. That's the best way for there to be accountability. So in order to really have accountability, you have to have relationship. Okay? So you, that's where the proper healthy span of care comes into place. It's hard for me to walk up to the front door and hold John accountable when I don't even know his name. I don't even, surely don't know his last name. And I don't know what his kids' names are. It's hard for me to hold him accountable if he's, you know, and let me just give you all a pointer. For instance, we had a gentleman the other day at the front door wearing sunglasses. That's a no-no. You don't wear it. It's not Secret Service welcoming people. Take your glasses off. That is, you know, when you think of warm and comfortable environments, walking into someone standing there with dark sunglasses, that seems like, is this security? Am I in trouble? Um, but I didn't say any. I'm not going to say anything to him. Because, yes, he knows me, but I don't have that relational equity there. So in order to really hold somebody accountable, there must be relational equity. And, and in order to have relational equity, somebody's got to be in their world. Somebody has to know who they are and who know their kids' names. And, um, and, of course, we have huddles. Every team huddles before their, their service, whatever service they're in. And in those huddles, um, there's prayer time, and, and people are able to talk about needs. So that helps with relational equity. But I'm not in those huddles, so I can't hold, you know. So... You can't have accountability without, accountability without relationship, and that's proper span of care.